Welcome to CBJ in 30, the official podcast of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McElligant. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. There's something that I just don't like about this opening today. I just don't like it. I mean, we're in Nashville, and yes, I know Kid Rock has a place right on Broadway, so rock music is a part of Nashville. I understand that. But Nashville is the home of country music. So if I'm going to be in Nashville, it should have more of a country feel when I open this show. Like this. Yes, this is so much better. This really sets the tone. In Nashville, NHL Draft, the first round will take place tomorrow night, 7 o'clock Eastern Time is when it gets underway. We'll be broadcasting live for you on the flagship station of the Blue Jackets Radio Network, 97.1 The Fan. I'll be joined by Jody Shelley and Dylan Tyre, and we're going to find out who the Blue Jackets are going to take with the third overall pick in the first round tomorrow night. Rounds two through seven will then take place on Thursday before we head back to Columbus and get ready for free agency, the official naming of a coach, and development camp. All of that coming up within the course of the next week. So let's get right to it. Um, Busy and bustling here in Nashville as we prepare for that first round of the draft tomorrow night. Had an opportunity to catch up with a couple of people that you know very well. One of those is Aaron Portsline, who covers the Blue Jackets beat for The Athletic. You'll hear from him in just a bit. But right now, here's a little conversation I had with my broadcast partner, Jody Shelley. Well, Jody, here we are in Nashville getting ready for the draft. Find out who the Blue Jackets are going to take with that third overall pick. And this is going to be important. They didn't want to be drafting this high, obviously, but here they are. They wanted to draft at number one after the season that they had, but it's going to be number three. And it's going to be really interesting because, you know, some drafts you go to and depending where you're slotted, depending upon where you're slotted, maybe that's a guy that figures in at some point, maybe doesn't, but this player is going to figure into this organization. Yeah, and, and when you look at the season, you look back, you have a lot of pain and suffering as far as wins and losses, and, and now it's time at the draft where, you know, Bob, it's interesting hearing you come to these NHL events, and especially the draft, which and the award show was uh, the night before, everybody's here, all the agents, all the players, all the draft picks, coaching staffs, general managers, the whole organizations are here, and you can feel the buzz within the city of Nashville, obviously, but I always find it fascinating to see the meetings going, you know, not just the, the prospects and the players that are good in drafting and their families are here, but the organizations getting together and working deals. That draft pick is going to be a, a big part of it, obviously, a top three pick and, and something that's going to be a big part of the future of the Blue Jackets, a key piece. But I always like the other stuff going on too, because wheeling and dealing is, uh, Yarmo's already done some of that and his staff, uh, picking up two great defensemen for this team. Changes have to be made. Uh, after a team finishes where they did last year. And uh, it's just going to be such a positive moment on the draft board to, to pick that player and, and you know, kind of put him into what's happening here, but also help build around a player like this. It's so young, 17, 18 years old, uh, going to be a major part of the organization. Yeah, you talk about uh, the meetings in, here on the Tuesday, the day before the draft. Right. This is when teams are getting together and they're pretty much solidifying things, Right. They've had all these discussions. Uh, I like this guy. You like this guy. And this is where they're they're getting their own uh, their board in order um, and making those final decisions. Okay, if this guy is there, this is the guy that we're going to take. And like you said, everybody is doing it right now. But but some, you know, it, 
if you're picking 15th, there's guys that aren't going to be there, but the, right. the guys at the top of your board are already going to be, uh, many are going to be gone by that point in time. But that's what everybody's doing today. They are hoping, you know, that player you really like falls, you know, there's going to be that everyone has their own order and who knows what's going to happen at the top of the draft. I mean, there's even discussions that Anaheim might not take Ben to it. Nobody knows, no, really what happens. It sounds like some people think it's a lot, but some people think maybe Columbus could be looking that direction. So that would be something that would be interesting too. So. A lot going on, a lot of posturing, and even the Blue Jackets today. So um, uh, they had some players at the top of the draft board. They interviewed even today, the day before the draft. So I'd imagine there's probably still some arguments going on, you know, because scouts in different regions uh, they covet their player, they see them so much, and then the argument lays out on the table. Um, so the scenarios would be be great for the Blue Jackets. Who knows what happens? And, and It'll be an exciting time here tomorrow. But I like today. It's the anticipation of what's going to happen throughout the draft. Let's talk about what Yarmo has already done with this team because, you know, he's so good at making trades. And he's really good at making trades that you don't see coming. <laughs> I, I Still, after all these years, I don't know how he, he stays off the radar on a lot of the things that he does. But uh, the defense, he has already made better with the Provorov and the Severson uh, ac- acquisitions there and and I'm going to talk with Aaron Portsline here in just a couple of minutes, and we'll, you know, kind of spitball about how the other guys fit in here. But all of a sudden, there's a, there's a lot of pieces on both the at forward and on defense. Um, do, you, do you think he pulls off something else right now this week? Um, you know, on a big stage because he's pretty good at doing that. Yeah, I, I think he does. I think that it is a uh, going to be a concerted effort to make this team much better. And he's already doing that. He knows the holes. He watched closely last year, practices, games, evaluating people and players. And there's a certain brand of, of team that he wants to have and, and he wants to get back to. And I think when you have Boone Jenner, Zach Warinsky, uh, players like that who have come up as Blue Jackets who are still here and understand what this city means and what this team needs to look like, you know, I think you owe them that. And I think that's what he feels. So, when you pick up two veteran defensemen like that, instantly you're getting so much better. And that's a good thing. You know, it's exciting time because you can't just wait for prospects to grow. And when you have, like, look at that pick you got from L.A. He used that to improve the team, understanding the value of that to another organization. So you've got young players. There's NHL players in the organization now that might need to be moved, have to be moved with all the depth now. And that, that means that they'll upgrade in other positions. And, um, you know, if you're a young player who got to play a lot last year, I remember being in the offseason and anticipating and looking at the depth chart over and over. And I used to have to wait for the Hockey News magazine to come out. I wouldn't be able to do it on, on the Internet. But, you know, you look at that and you see if you're on the depth chart and where you're in. And, you know, it motivates you more to be better. And I think that internal competition, which we talk about all the time, increases urgency, urgency as well. So there's a lot of moving pieces. And I think you're right. We always want it to happen at the trade deadline. We always want it to happen uh, during the season, but when you look at the track record and see what's happening around this town in Nashville right now with the organizations, uh, there's there's a lot of wheeling and dealing going on. How is a new coach going to affect all of this? As a former player who's, yeah. you know, you've been in the room, you've had coaches change during the season, you've had coach change from one year to the next. You were just talking about the depth chart. Well, one man's depth chart isn't necessarily the next man's depth chart, is it? No, and, and you know, coach comes in and it's just it's different for the players it's almost like a new audition 
for half the team. You know, the top players, they'll have to find their way. They know they're going to be in those situations and things are going to happen. But there's the other part of the team where you got to audition to this guy. You got to gain his trust. You have to, you understand that as soon as he gets eyes on you, he's evaluating to see where you fit in in the system. And, and he's going to be demanding. Uh, he's going to set tempo and the tone for the organization. And, you know, I think that's important. I think that at the end of the day, people always talk about hard coaches and, uh, it's, you know, are the players going to like him? It doesn't matter. I mean, Bruce Cassidy is known not to be a, a guy that players love. He was in Boston. He left. He just won the Stanley Cup. When you win, it's all good. But it's just holding accountable, uh, playing a certain way. And, and I think everyone on the ice wants to know what's expected of them. And I think that that's going to be refreshing for a lot of these guys too, where it frees you up uh, and not wondering why this player isn't doing a certain thing or when he should be doing something else. So I think it's going to be great. I mean, um, it's going to be another positive in the organization after this disappointing season. You were so close to this organization, obviously, having played and now broadcasting here and being around it day to day. But what experiences have you gotten in these last couple of years as is you branched out a little bit more and you, you've done more national games, you've done more network stuff, and you've been exposed to uh, different teams, different managers, different coaches, different philosophies around the National Hockey League. You know, it's interesting. It, it all comes back to the same thing, and it's, you know, it's still just hockey. You know what I mean? Like, I think that we all, we analyze everything, and everything is broken down into, into such detail. But at the end of the day, when you look at the Stanley Cup champions in the Vegas Golden Knights, they had players that were slotted in, in the right positions, with William Carlson, for example, um, taking on roles within a team, and they had size, and they had skill when they needed it. Jack Eichel is one of the most skilled players in the world, but do you notice the way he played? He played within the team structure and used his skill when he needed it. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, organizations all look for the magic formula, but there isn't. You have to the health, the size, the speed, and the buy-in as a team. I, I just think that um, you learn at the end of the day, everyone has pretty much the same philosophy where you need a center. Every, there's so many organizations that need a center. There's so many organizations that need a number one D. There's so many organizations that need a goaltender. Uh, those are those are keys. But when I really look at the past few seasons, I don't know if I valued coaching as much as I have to add on this day. Like, the coaches that were in the finals, uh, Paul Maurice is one of the best people and best coaches you can see. Uh, when you get to go in those, those arenas and cover those teams, the team really is the identity of the coach. And you listen to him talk so much. You listen to those media scrums from different angles and different organizations. Uh, it's a huge impact in the sport. And I don't know if I really thought that before. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, I can tell you're you getting old. Well, that is part of it, but. I can tell you're a national star now because we can't even get a block down the street. Oh yeah, right. In Nashville, <laughs> yeah. I can't walk with Jody here in Nashville. It's just <laughs> stopping every every year, every bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> I do think of that when I think of you. That's what I think. Right, country star. Well, thanks for uh, breaking this down. Of course, we'll do the uh, show. Yeah, during the uh, first round tomorrow night, and then we'll talk during the uh, second through seventh rounds on Thursday, and then we'll get back home for development camp. So. Uh, it's a great week. It's great. Great time of year. You know, great to go back to work. It kind of ends up, yeah, and then kind of breaks up the summer. This is the last thing before the reset of the next season. And, and you know, uh, we'll probably won't see you in August, Bob. But, uh, you know, once it comes back to September, October, we're looking forward to the next season. I think that's exciting. Kind of, you feel that excitement here at the draft.
Jody Shelley joining me on today's CBJ and 30. We were just talking about the league and other teams, and we were talking about deals. The St. Louis Blues got their man from the Philadelphia Flyers today. Kevin Hayes gets traded. A sixth-round pick is all that's going to Philadelphia as part of that trade, and the Flyers are going to hold, I believe, 50% of the salary for Kevin Hayes. So Hayes was supposedly part of a bigger deal. Tory Krug wouldn't waive his no-movement clause to leave St. Louis and go to Philadelphia. That kind of put the brakes on the bigger part of the deal. But Kevin Hayes, who's a guy that back at the trade deadline was rumored to be coming to the Blue Jackets and obviously never did, is going to St. Louis to play for the Blues. Well, it's time now to get into a little Blue Jackets trade rumor stuff. They are looking for a centerman. They're going to get one with a third overall pick in tomorrow night's first round, but they are looking for a centerman perhaps in addition to that. Which ones may be available? Which ones would make good sense for the Blue Jackets? I'm going to talk about that and a lot more with Aaron Portsline, who covers the Blue Jackets beat for The Athletic. But the big question, first and foremost, Adam Fantilli, is he going to be taken number two overall by the Anaheim Ducks, or is it possible that he slides to number three and he would be there for the Blue Jackets? It's interesting because Pat Verbeek, the GM of the Anaheim Ducks, is he does his business this quietly, uh, sort of in the Steve Eiserman mold, his longtime teammate. There's also not a track record for Pat Verbeek. This is his second year as GM, so there are no tendencies to draw on there. I keep thinking, well, you know, the player who was the original little ball of hate can't possibly pass on the tough physical forward. The one, you know, there's there's that cluster of centers there at the top. Fantilli's the guy among all of them that brings the physical edge that just seems like it would be such a draw to a player like Verbeek to an organization like the Ducks when you think of Getzlaff, Harry, and and, you know, those guys that they, uh, Kessler, the toughness that, that they rode to such success, uh, you know, in a previous previous iteration. It's hard for me to see Fantilli sliding past them, and yet over the last few days, you're, you hear murmurs that that could, in fact, be the case, that they, they may have drafted the physical centerman that they desire last year, Mason McTavish, that they may look at Leo Carlson as the, big playmaking center that perfectly complements uh, their future down the middle. Also heard a couple nights ago that you should not be surprised if Matt Vavichkov, who's such a mystery in this draft, the Russian prospect, if he goes to, to Anaheim. So I guess what I'm saying is maybe from a, a week ago, I would have said there's no way that Fantilli drops to Columbus at three. Now I'm not so sure. There's great drama we, we would have said the draft started at number three with the blue jackets in terms of the intrigue of it now i think it's at number two and i'm sure the blue jackets of course are prepared for any scenario but i'm curious to see what happens uh no matter what but really curious to see what happens if fantilli slides to them because that's a that is an incredibly gifted talented and rare package and i find it hard to believe they would pass on him but i suppose it is possible well, and that's what I was going to ask you because you just wrote a story a couple of days ago yeah. where you made a bold prediction yeah, that yeah. even if Fantilli was there, they might go with yes. L. Smith, who it's pretty obvious as you talk with more of the people around the Blue Jackets yeah. 
they really like this kid. Nobody's saying that, hey, this yeah. is the guy that we're taking, but nobody shies away from that either. Yeah, for sure. It is. I, I think everyone likes Will Smith. I think he's the unanimous top four or five player in this draft. So it, they're not by any means out of bounds. I think they like him as much as anybody does from what I can from what I can deduce. I always think it would be fascinating to collect people's master list after the draft is over. You don't get to see those till sometimes 10, 12 years later, if that. But there's such a, a, a wide variety of opinion that is it's not reflected in the mock drafts you see out there and the, you know, the guesses that people make. We all sort of uh, lean in similar ways. If this guy's two on one list, you're not going to have him deeper than seven. But there are some teams that have great variation from pick to pick. Will Smith is really high on just about everyone's boards. I'm sure of it, but the Blue Jackets are really, really high on him. And and you listen for things that are more telling sometimes than what people directly say. So early in the process when you're saying, boy, what a draft. If, if you need a centerman, this is an incredible draft for you with Bedard, with Carlson, and with Fantilli there. And when you get corrected enough times by someone saying, there's another kid there who may be as good as anybody. You go, oh, okay, we'll make a note of that. Uh, and we've seen Will Smith elevate in terms of his, where he is considered, where he is seen throughout this process. I would not be, I would be surprised and yet not blown away if the Blue Jackets take him at three no matter what. My question about that is, you know, Leo Carlson is the big bodied guy. Right. I mean, he's what, 6'2", 6'3", whatever, whatever. So is it time to get some bigger bodies in the lineup here, I guess? Yeah. I mean, it's great to have all the skill. And there are a lot of smaller skilled guys already on this roster. Absolutely. Uh, that's the one thing that when I look at it, I'm like, is it time to get a big body guy that can go to the front of the net? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and to me, that's the draw of a Fantilli is almost immediately he goes into your NHL lineup and you don't have to protect him, physically protect him. That is so rare among 18, 19-year-old players. Will Smith is going to Boston College for at least a year. Even after that, he is going to need support on his line from a physical perspective. Six foot 180, not small, but he is a skilled player, not a, a battering ram, and Fantilli is that. I think if you observe the Blue Jackets sort of you know, from a drone's view the last year and a half, they've really made a point of getting bigger. Uh, the good Branson signing last year, his physicality was a big part of the reason he got signed here. Uh, Matthew Olivier signed, traded to them last year, re-signed this year. They, they like him in the lineup. Tough guy on the fourth line. Look at the defense where they signed. They're not fighters by, by any stretch of the imagination, but they will fight, and they're physical. Provorov can can deliver a load of bricks. So can Sinseverson. Um, the Sporonkov kid from Russia, this is a bigger, more combative team already. Uh, Fantilli really drives that point home. And I think, you know, the Ducks reminded us, I bring the Ducks up again, how they won the cup back in the day. Look how St. Louis won it. Every time you start to think that this league is going away from size and focusing exclusively on skill, we're reminded in the playoffs that size does matter. And Vegas, look, that's a big, big team. Uh, not necessarily incredibly fleet of foot. They've got speed for sure. 
Uh, but players like Mark Stone, he's not winning foot races. He's not winning any combine drills with his speed. But that is a competitive SOB. And that they had them up and down their lineup. I think Columbus is, is, has moved in that direction big time. And Fantilli would be obviously a huge continuation. Talk with Aaron Portsline from The Athletic, and as we are having this conversation Tuesday early in the afternoon, the Blue Jackets uh, have not made any moves yet, any further moves. You mentioned the Pro Robin Severson acquisitions from a couple of weeks ago. But what do you think we're going to see? I mean, Yarmo has – he's got some pieces he's got to move off the roster, mm-hmm. you would think. He's got pieces I'm sure he wants to move off the roster, whether he's able to do it or not. Do you think we're going to see that this week, or do you think that's going to be uh, – maybe somewhere a little bit down the road. Yeah, I'm not sure how what form that takes. I think trading for them is, is a much more attractive likelihood than free agency. A, the market is is really, really soft this year in free agency. Uh, and trading allows you to to take pieces off your roster as you add add pieces because that, that's what they need. They've got too many forwards, especially if the draft pick they take this year makes the lineup i think that gives them 17 forwards 18 maybe uh players that you would expect to see in the nhl this year uh players who either look like they've got full-time roles set up for them or guys who need waivers to go to the minor leagues like a foodie uh who they hung on to all of last year can they do that again this year how do they make room for some of these guys they're going to talk there's been talk all offseason that Roslovic is probably on the move. I'm not sure where. Um, but if you acquire a center, that could be a piece that goes the other direction. Certainly not as an impetus to a deal, but as an unload. We were talking about this earlier, too. This league has changed uh, with the advent and the sort of the, as we've gotten used to, the salary cap, especially after COVID where everything is so flat, where there's it's not about buying as much as it was on july 1st it's not buying new it's about recycling and teams came to nashville with the desire to move their contracts that they find to be unwieldy and so you've seen johnson uh former blue jacket ryan johansson sorry move from nashville to colorado in a deal that makes a lot of sense from colorado's perspective it makes sense from from uh nashville's perspective as well uh the blue jackets you would think would be in a market they weren't in that market but in a, for a similar deal uh, to add a centerman. And, and I also think, you know, they'd like to get some clarity Wednesday. Sometimes the moves happen before the first round, and sometimes they have to. But to me, it makes sense to see who's there for you at three. And if it's Fantilli, who probably plays in the league for them this year, I think that changes. I, I think they still have a desire to add a centerman, a, a stabilizing sentiment, but it, it it might change what kind of center they're looking for, what kind of term they're willing to accept. If it's Will Smith they end up with or Leo Carlson, players who Carlson could go back to Sweden. Smith is definitely going to Boston College. It's going to be a couple of years before they're really up and running for you. Then maybe a, a today player makes more sense in that scenario. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what Yarmo's thinking on that front. He doesn't let us know all the great details, but I think these are questions that probably make a lot of sense to him. And they do seem willing to spend. And if they can clear players off off their roster, they've got plenty of cap room, which a lot of teams can't say. 
I want to run this one by you because I had this conversation uh, with a listener yesterday. The New York Islanders, Lou Lamorello, who's a guy of very few words. Yep. When he did have his one press conference postseason, yeah, he made it very clear he's got five centermen. Yeah. Too many centers. Too many centers, and could be in the market for defense. Yeah. The Blue Jackets have a lot of extra defense, as yeah. it turns out right now. You see any fit there for one of those centers? And what center might it be? Uh, you know, Jean Gabriel Pajot's yeah. name has been out there. I don't mind him as a player, but boy, if you could pry Brock Nelson away somehow, I mean, that would be a steal, wouldn't it? It would, and and it does. They do make a lot of sense. And aren't those fascinating words to hear? Words we've never heard in Columbus. Too many centers. Because <laughs> it's always been it's always been a struggle here. Um, yeah, you think Yarmo holds things close to the vest. And then there's Lou, uh, who likes to make trades and likes to make signings, and then announce it 48 hours later with the caveat that if this leaks, it's off. We're not doing it. He wants to find out who he can trust and who he can't, uh, to an almost petty degree. Um, so if they're talking, it's probably going to broadside everybody. But it does make sense. I'm a, I'm a Pajot guy myself. The tricky thing for the Blue Jackets are, like, wh- like where are you with Sillinger and and Johnson, like you embark upon this restart. And I think you saw it a lot from Ken Johnson last year that was promising, but it was on the wing. Uh, Sillinger sort of had a sobering season last year. I still think most people believe in him as a middle six centerman, probably at number two if if things go really well. The skating's got to improve. Um, but you don't want to block that either. You don't want to block Sillinger. Uh, from having the ice time that he's going to need. But you would love in a perfect world to move Boone Jenner, I think, back to the wing. Jenner deserves, I think, so much credit for the way that he has played. Uh, He would never say it. He never says it. But out of position a little bit, that he should be a second or third line winger on a really good team. And he has competed as this team's number one center ever since Pierre-Luc Dubois was moved. And he scored 25-plus goals. He's an absolute warrior out there in terms of the minutes that he eats. It's hard for coaches not to play him, but they've got to dial that back. Um, and so a player like Pajot, I think, would be just a, a hugely important add and a super competitive veteran guy that you add him to to Severson, you add him to Branson, and you're starting to now get a – a fabric of veteran players in that room um, that really bode well for the, the young guys around them, but also for a competitive spirit and a, like a legitimate NHL team. When we talk about the defensemen, Jake Bean, Adam Boquist, Andrew Peake, yeah. David Yurchek, he may or may not be here. I, mean, yeah. I He should be, but now, as Jarmo said after he made those deals, he doesn't have to rush anybody. Yeah, doesn't have to. So that's, that's a great option to have. You don't want to throw that kid in there he, at 19 if you don't have to. But so those those other three guys, if you're looking for somebody to be on the move, which guy is it? Like to me, Adam Boquist is still an eighth overall pick. He still has a great offensive upside when he's healthy, which has been the problem yeah. with him. Andrew Peake has turned himself into a shot blocking machine. Yep. He can play anywhere in the lineup for you and he'll eat up some big minutes. Jake Bean, I, I thought I feel bad for him last year because I, I, once Zach went down, it was his chance to really show whether or not he could be in this lineup if he was going to be a part of this team for the future, and then he got hurt a week later. Yeah. So um, 
I mean, which of those guys, if you're talking about moving somebody, which of those guys do you think it would be? Well, in terms of value, it's it's Boquist. I, I don't like moving him. What's what's wild is just look at that roster. And Boquist is the youngest guy we've mentioned. He's been around as long as any of those, that, that tier, the Blankenbergs, the Peaks, the Beans, those guys. He's younger than, than those guys. Uh, still very young. He's he's shown incredible. Oh, I shouldn't say that. He's shown really good offensive upside. I like him. I like I like that mix in your top four, uh, especially on the right side. I like him as a potential second power play guy. I think he was pretty good in the power play last year. And Tom Rob would probably have something to say about that. He, yeah, which is good too. That's what camp is for. Um, I love Blankenberg's spirit. Yeah, love it. And as I admire the way that uh, Andrew Peak has turned himself, as you said, into a shop. Like the kid will run through a wall for you. It's limited, but the kid will run through a wall for you. Um, I love Peak as your seven. Right. So Bean is a tough guy because I, I think they gave up a second round pick for him. It, guy has been a promising player all of last year. Hurt, uh, lost a huge year for development. And comes into camp now as a bit of a wild card with where does he fit? What does he play like? I don't know that you can, I mean, teams can run health tests on him, but you're trading at a low, low point for him. Um, so I'm not sure what they do in the back end. I love the setup with Juracek now that if he is ready, then then you can, you can plug him in there and, and be super excited about it. But then you're looking at Juracek and, and Severson on the right side. Put Branson on the third pair, which is where he should be. And what do you do with Bocas? Uh And last year, in all fairness, yeah, they tried him on the left a bit. Yeah, they tried Peak on the left a bit. Yeah, it didn't work. Three of the one of them. Like right. was the only right-handed shot. Yeah, that was able to go to the left but, side effectively. Yeah, and it should be easier to move those guys because they have so many right right shot guys. But for whatever reason, is there's always a dearth of those guys in the league. Uh, I don't know what the Islanders are looking for. If any of those guys excite them. But it, it, at some point, we talked about their forwards, how there's 17 or 18 of them, especially if this if, if the number three pick sticks. The back end's just as crowded. Like, Juracek becomes number nine. And you don't want to rush him if he's not ready. Similarly, you don't want to not play him if he's ready. Uh, so they've got a bit of a and – and maybe you're not going to know until camp. The thing that's exciting about all this for me is you have a – a totally new set of eyes on all of this with the coach. And so what you thought you thought about this guy and what you thought you thought about that guy can now uh, be completely reevaluated by someone who has no background with most of these players, if any background whatsoever. And so I think there will be opportunities for guys that we don't see just yet. Uh, and there will be some guys that we, you have expectations for that the new coach doesn't quite see it that way. And here we are talking, we're talking about trading a defenseman for a forward. We're, you were just saying that there's a glut of forwards. Yeah. They're right. going to get another forward yeah. and not account for somebody right. leaving on that. So that, that's why we just talk about it. We yeah. don't have to actually go Maybe out. Four, four three-for-one trades. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned the, the coaching perspective. For me, it's going to be fun to watch because I welcome a return to old school. In a way, and and, yeah. and I'm talking about structure, as yeah. you know, 
Uh, the one thing that John Tortorello was able to bring when he was here was structure. And that is something that Yarmo was uh, very obviously saying got away yeah. over the last two years. That's right. And there will be structure. And of course, the, Jody Shelley talks about this all the time. The key to a team's success is people knowing their role and how to play their role. And you know, last year, a lot of injuries, there were guys playing out of their role that you just couldn't help it. But yeah, yeah. But I think that's something that's going to return in a big way, don't you? Yeah. And I felt, you know, psychologically, it felt to me last year like one of those seasons where everything is so demoralized that you can almost feel the injuries coming because it's just such a depressed scene. Um, I think, I, you know, we're talking about trading guys out so there's not so many bodies. I also love the idea of coming to camp with 18 forwards who think they've got a shot or 20 forwards who think they've got a shot. Uh, Trey Fix Melansky signed today. You look on paper, there's no way that guy makes it. And yet tell him that, right? He comes to camp thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take somebody's job. And, and renewed and energized by the fact that there's now a coach looking at him who has never seen him before. And it, it, this is going to be merit, not not previously applied opinions. Um, I think that is such a good thing. And I love, I mean, Tortorella it w coached a certain way. Hitchcock coached a certain way. And so, so much of the attention is put on their, the loudness, the amplification of their coaching, how forceful they can be. And that's all there. But there's also a point with each of those guys where it's pretty cut and dry. If you're not doing it, you're not playing. And I remember Hitch, Hitchcock used to say all the time, not everybody can score goals. Everybody can defend. Everybody can defend. And I think you're going to see a team, fear can be a hell of a motivator. And I think you're going to see a team that checks, that plays its, its rear end off, that is simplified in the defensive zone. And they have better defensemen in Brad Larson's defense. He's probably looking at some of these moves and going, where was this? Where was Severson for me? Where was Provorov for me? Um, they're better back there. But you're going to see an attention to detail, a demand for attention to detail that has been missing and is sorely needed to return. I was thinking about this flying out here last night. I cannot believe that my 14-year tenure so far here in the National Hockey League, I've worked with Ken Hitchcock. Yeah. I've worked with John Tortorella. Yep. And about to work with Mike Babcock. Yeah. I mean, one guy, as you mentioned, Hitch is already going into the Hall of Fame. He just got elected. The other two are going to be there no at question. some point in time. It's no amazing question. that that caliber of a coach. Yeah. You're going to have three of them going through Columbus, isn't it? Yeah, and I'll go back. I've had, I started covering this team with the incredible honor of covering Dave King, who is maybe not the brand name of a Hitchcock, a Tortorella, or a Babcock to many, but in hockey circles, international hockey circles, Dave King is an absolute legend. Order of Canada, uh, complete gentleman. And I love I love it. We still laugh about it, how I would ask questions the first, my first year or so in the beat. And just by the question, Dave King would say, Aaron, come on back to my office. Like, you have no idea what you're even talking about. And he would sit me down and say, here it is. And he would explain things. And it was, a, I mean, this is Dave King. This isn't like, 
you know, it was, it could have easily been intimidating, but Nate King didn't allow it to be. Uh, and he's still doing great in Arizona. I still talk to him. He's a huge Mike Babcock fan. Stayed in touch with Hitch, talked to Hitch. I, and I'm hoping to write this once, once the Babcock hiring becomes official. I think Kent Hitchcock had a very large role in, in Mike Babcock deciding to take this job. Nobody, I think Hitch may get a weekly check from the Columbus uh, Visitors Bureau as much as he trumpets the city. Absolutely loves Columbus, tells everybody about it. Um, and I, I do think he helped persuade Babcock into taking this job. And he's as excited about Babcock taking this job as anybody. Uh, absolutely a huge fan of his uh, professionally. They've obviously coached together. But yeah, it, it's crazy. The one thing Columbus has not messed around with is Hall of Fame coaches. No, they have not. All right, one last thing for you. Yep. When we leave Nashville Thursday night, is there going to be, you feel there will be some kind of a Blue Jackets bombshell, something that's really going to shock us or amaze us yeah. before we head back to development? Well, to me, if, if I mean, if it's, uh, if Fantilli falls to them at three, that should be enough. That should be enough for it to be a hell of a party at the, at the draft party. Be excited about anybody because this is, uh, whoever, whoever they get at three is, if you listen to scouts, it's going to be one hell of a hockey player. Beyond that, I, I think who falls to them at three may impact what further they do. But I, the sense you get from talking to people around the league is that, the Yarmo Keck line and is not done just with fixing the blue line, that there's still more uh, that he wants to do at center ice, I think. And, you know, we, we had a story, I think it was Monday, the days are running together, listing the, the, the trade market possibilities. And I'm humble enough to admit that probably the most, I should take the field because it's probably not a guy that you're expecting. Um, but there's a lot of guys there that you go. That's it. Scott Lawton is interesting to me. Great term. Uh, three years, three million. Not a top line center by any stretch. Certainly a number two. I think you can get by as a team with two number twos while you're waiting on your one to emerge. Um, but you don't want to block those those young guys, uh, including whoever they get this year at three. But I I guess I'm kind of ready for for just about anything, because I think there's a lot of variables in play here. You've been here for a lot of drafts. I told you last thing, but I just thought of one more. Oh, you're You've been here for a lot of drafts. Um, last night, we were talking about the Sergei Bobrovsky trade yeah. in Pittsburgh, that draft in yep. Pittsburgh. Um, is that the biggest draft day or draft time deal in the history of this franchise? It's certainly one that paid off great dividends. When I went back and looked what they gave up for him, because I couldn't remember. Yeah. So it's like incredible. two second round picks and a fourth round pick. And, and two of the three guys, I don't even know who they are. So they never pay yeah. out. The yeah. 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 You know what? It, in hindsight, it's a huge draft day trade. At the time, it was, it didn't land that big because Bobrovsky wasn't Bobrovsky. He was kind of the number three in Philly. Um, that was one of Scott Allison's brilliant moves. Mathot for Felino, pretty good trade too. Uh, but the Bobrovsky deal was 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 incredible uh, in hindsight. At the time, I don't I don't think it landed as a as a major earth. If, if anything, people were like, "Wow, well, you know, two draft picks for the for the Flyers' third round guy." And I remember there were people in Philly that were like, "Oh my God, this guy's really good." 
And the Phillies don't know, the Phillies, the Flyers don't know what they're doing with their goalies. Uh, if you remember, they were wedded to uh, Brzezgalov. I can't remember who the other one was, but they had just committed a huge contract to Ilya Brzezgalov. And that flamed out horrifically. Are they still paying him for that? <laughs> they might be. They might be. Uh, but that made Bobrovsky expendable. And that was, yeah. And I think Ian Clark was a, was a huge part of that too in terms of, High, you know, noticing Bobrovsky and saying, my God, this is a guy that someone's going to make a big mistake on and let it go. Yeah, so that, uh, I remember that day. And, and again, now it kind of lives in infamy. Yeah. If you said at the time, it was like, oh. Yeah. To, to, I got to stop the middle of my afternoon because we're getting yeah. what the third string yeah. from Philadelphia. To me, the, the I think the big draft day, it wasn't even the draft day, I think it was the day before, was I think we were in Minnesota and they traded for Jeff Carter. It was Voracek. Oh, First for Carter, and it was like, okay, now that Rick, one lives in infamy too. Rick Nash has his center, and it, it is crazy, like how difficult it has been for this organization to find centermen. Uh, that Carter trade blew up terribly because of Jeff Carter. But I was looking at this the other day. They've spent, I think, eight first-round picks on centers, five in the top ten. And of all of those players, the one who's had the most production for them, not, not all told, but for them, is Alexander Wenberg, who was a 16th or 14th, 14th, and a source of much frustration while he was here, now plays for Seattle. And they also drafted Johansson and Dubois, uh, and they've gone on to have solid careers, especially Dubois. Um, but it's been really hard for them to nail that spot, and so here they are with Maybe their best opportunity yet to do that is this draft is rich with centers. Fun part about the Wads every two years, you can find out where he wants to play next. Yeah, so that's a good thing. Exactly. Uh, and you mentioned Winberg. The biggest problem, I think, in hindsight with Alexander Winberg is yeah. they were paying him as a top line guy. Yeah. And he's a third line guy. Yeah. I mean, he was playing like a third line guy. And Absolutely. that brings excelling now yeah. in Seattle. I mean, the focus yeah. is off and he can just play his game. Yeah. And you know what? He got off to that start where he's, I, I mean, I think it was like 20, 40, 60, his first three years. And he started to see like, like this looks like he was, he was such a naturally talented defensive player. Like he was always in the right spot defensively. That's why coaches trusted him from right from the start. Uh, but you started to see the playmaking come alive there in that is his third season. And then his last three seasons in Columbus went the other direction, injuries, concussions. I mean, some guys don't respond well to John Tortorella coaching. I think we could say he was one of them. But he's found a home in Seattle, and he's played a lot of mostly second line for them and has been a, a soft part, of a, part of a group that, you know, they haven't really focused on any stars there. Benier's sort of the, the lead center. But Wenberg's really found a home there and become a solid player. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate this. Uh, and we're going to be broadcasting all through rounds two through seven on Thursday. Yep. I'd love for you to come back uh, by and 100%. we can talk about whoever they got with yeah. the third overall pick right. and, and what they're doing. They've got that early uh, second round pick. Yeah. On eight two. Two. So uh, thank you very much. And now I'm going to send this off to Dave King to show him how much you've learned since he brought you into the office. And now Kinger sometimes struggles with technology. So you may just have to have an audio recording and send it to him. Because I'm not sure he's going to download a podcast or so. That is, that, that's very, Linda could help him for sure. <laughs> very fair point. Yeah. Forty, thank you very much. All right, thanks, Paul.
Aaron Porchline, he covers the Blue Jackets for The Athletic. He'll be covering tomorrow night. We'll all be covering it tomorrow night. The first round of the NHL draft. The Blue Jackets set to pick number three overall. Jody Shelley, Dylan Tyre, and I will come to you starting at 7 o'clock tomorrow night on the flagship station of the Blue Jackets Radio Network, 97.1 The Fan. We'll take you from 7 to 9. We'll find out who that third overall pick is. We'll hear from that third overall pick. We'll talk with Yarmo Kekalainen. We'll have it covered for you tomorrow night from 7 to 9. And then on Thursday, we'll get going at 11 o'clock in the morning and bring you rounds 2 through 7. That one we're going to carry for you on Twitter spaces. So if you're at work or you're in the car or you're just hanging out and you want to follow along and be part of our broadcast in rounds two through seven, I hope that you will do just that. So that's the schedule here in Nashville. That's what we're ready to bring to you for the next couple of days. Thanks to Jody Shelley and Aaron Portsline for joining me today. And as always, thank you. It's good to have that music back. I kind of like that. It's, it's just got a good vibe to it. Uh, anyway, this has been CBJ and 30. Until next time, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.